Have you ever had something in your life that you wanted to change? That you needed to change? But you felt powerless to change? May have been a habit, it may have been an attitude, it may have been a weakness, but, but no matter what you did, no matter how hard you tried, it seemed like you just couldn't change that habit, that attitude, that, that weakness. Have you ever heard someone say, Jesus changed my life? And when they said that, you thought to yourself, that's great. But how does Jesus change a person's life? I heard about a man who, who came down to the altar at church and just knelt down there because he needed God to change his life. And while he was there kneeling and just talking to God, someone came up to him and put their arm around him and said, you just need to let go. After a while, someone else came up to him, put their arm around him and said, you need to hang on. And then after a while, someone else came to him, put their arm around him and said, you need to pray through. And needless to say, this man was confused. Did he need to let go? Did he need to hang on? Did he need to pray through? I mean, how does change take place? This month we've been talking about that. And one of the first things we've discovered is that resolutions don't work. 80% of the resolutions that are made on January the 1st are broken within six weeks. Six weeks. 80% of the resolutions that people make are broken. Resolutions don't work. You see, we don't need a resolution. Change doesn't happen because of resolutions we make. Change happens because of a revolution that we experience, a revolution that, that we experience on the inside of our life. The truth is, God says that I am powerless to change on my own. Speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, God said this. He said, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. In other words, you're never going to be able to change who you are at the core of who you are. You may be able to change a few habits here and there. You may be able to change a few things about yourself, but but when it comes to your nature, when it comes to the very core of who you are, God's word says that you will never be able to change. And, and that's where some of you are right now. You know that you need to change. You desperately desire to change. And yet regardless of how hard you've tried, regardless of how many resolutions you've made, regardless of how many self-help books you've read, you've discovered that you just can't change yourself. And what I've discovered is that when we attempt to change what we can never change, that leads to frustration and then it leads to failure. But, but here's the good news. What we are powerless to do, God can do. You see, God can do in us and God can do through us and God can do for us what we can never do for ourselves. God can not only change us, God can make us brand new. In the book of Ezekiel, it says this. 
God says, I will give you a new heart and I will give you a new mind. I will take away your stubborn heart of stone and and I will give you an obedient heart. Now, don't miss that. God says, I'm going to give you a, a brand new Heart. Now remember, biblically, the heart isn't just a muscle that, that pumps blood through our body. Biblically, the heart is the center of your being. Your desires flow from your heart. Your emotions originate in your heart. That's why we are told in Scripture to guard our heart. Because it is the wellspring of life. And understand, if you want lasting change in your life, then God's got to give you a new heart. But we not only need a new heart, we need a new mind. And the Bible says that God will give us a new mind as well. You see, the heart is the place where our desires originate. But the mind is the place where our desires percolate. And we we need to be changed here, and we need to be changed here. That's why the Apostle Paul said, don't be like the people of the world. But let God change the way you think. Did you get that? Let God change the way you think. And so here's God working in our life. And he gives us a new heart. And he gives us a new mind. And he does what we can never do on our own. But here's the problem. It doesn't take long in this journey before we realize that even though we've surrendered our lives to him, we've given him control, we've asked him to give us a new heart, we've asked him to give us a new mind, we discover that, well, everything hasn't changed. I mean, we give our lives to Jesus, we're given a fresh start, we're given this new beginning, everything's great, we're on cloud nine, and then all of a sudden, without warning, pow! It hits us. This desire springs up within us that we didn't think we would have anymore. This attitude comes out that we wish would have never come out. And before we know it, we've messed up. We've fallen. We've stumbled. And and if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves repeating the same patterns, the same habits that we did before. With a new heart and a new mind. You see, when we get to that point where where we've prayed and we've asked God to change us and and we feel like God has changed us and all of a sudden we fall back into an old pattern or old habit, one of two things are are going to happen most often. First, we're going to think that we've never been changed in the first place. Obviously, this God stuff wasn't real. I was on an emotional high, and that got me through a couple of weeks, but it's not real. It's not true. God really doesn't change lives, and so it's just it's just a hoax. Or we think, well, I, I must not have really done it right. God's real, and I believe that, but, but there must have been something wrong. Maybe I didn't pray the right words. Maybe, maybe I wasn't kneeling, and I need to kneel down when I call out to God. Maybe I haven't done something right that I need to do right to have this change. And so we think that that we haven't changed or we think that we can't change. In other words, we, we know that we've given our life to Jesus. We believe it's true. We believe we're going to heaven. 
but, but we begin to think that, well, we're never going to have victory this side of eternity. I mean, on this side of eternity, as we're walking through life, we are destined to live in sin. We're destined to fall to the same old habits. We're destined to, com- um, to, to um, complete the same um, patterns. We're, we're destined to do the same things. Our life will never really change until we get to heaven. And, and in heaven, everything's going to be great. And there are some people that think that. And the problem is both of those are wrong. And the reason people think that way, one, I must have not changed. Or two, I guess we never can change is because they fail to understand that change, that salvation is a process. And it's a process that God is involved in and it's a process that we are involved in. And I believe one of the the absolute best passages in the Word of God that explains this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. If if your Bibles are open or, or you've got it there on the note sheet or you see it on the screen, here's what it says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now notice the phrase in verse 12, continue to work out your salvation. Now listen carefully. The Bible isn't saying that we can work for or we can earn our salvation. But what God is saying here is that God has a part and you and I have a part in this change process. You see, salvation is both an event and a process. Uh, Don't miss that. That's vital to your spiritual health, that understanding. Change is an event and change is a process. And that's where many people get tripped up in their spiritual journey. We focus on the event and we forget the process. And because we forget that it's a process, we look in the mirror at ourselves, And you know what happens? We don't see what we want to see. And we get discouraged. We get defeated. We, we get frustrated. Or we look at other people who are in process, and we forget that it's a process, and they're not where we think they need to be, and we become self-righteous, we become legalistic, we become judgmental. You see, change, salvation is an event, but salvation is also a process. Now, let's talk theology for a few minutes. The Bible talks about salvation in three terms. There is justification, there is sanctification, and there is glorification. Now, justification deals with my forgiveness of sins. I have been made right with God through the blood of Jesus. And because I have placed my faith in Jesus, I have been declared not guilty. Justification happens in the past for us who are believers. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. For me, that happened when I was a child. I was saved from the penalty of sin. 
I trusted Jesus' death on the cross to be the payment for my sin. I gave him my life as best I knew how, and I was saved from the penalty of sin. And then at the end of the journey, there is glorification. Glorification is the culmination of salvation. It's when we are in the presence of Jesus, when we are given a resurrected body, when when Satan is thrown into the, the lake of fire, when we will never have to deal with him anymore. And so we're in God's presence. We have this sinless body, and we no longer have to battle against Satan. That's glorification. That's the, what the Bible calls our blessed hope. We all look for that. We all long for that. But between justification, I have been saved from the penalty of sin, and glorification, I will be saved from the very presence of sin, there is sanctification. I am being saved from the power of sin. You see, in this journey, I accept Jesus, and I am saved from sin's penalty. And I am looking forward to that point when I will be saved from sin's presence. But in this journey called life, God is doing a work in me where he is saving me from the power of sin. And he is making me into what he wants me to become. Now, what is it that God wants us to become? Well, the Bible tells us that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says this. This is an incredible verse. It says, for from the very beginning... God decided that those who who come to him should become like his son. Did you get that? From the very beginning, God said, I want everyone who comes to me to become like my son. So we are justified. We are saved from the penalty of sin. We will receive glorification where we'll be saved from the presence of sin. But in this meantime, God is doing a work in our life. There is a process going on where he is making us To look more and more like Jesus. Understand, God's desire has never been just to give you a home in heaven. God's desire has always been to make you like Jesus. But that is a process, isn't it? And as we look at that process, we discover that God has a part and I have a part. And so I want us to talk about that for a few minutes. First of all, God's part in this process of salvation. What does God do? Well, notice what it says in verse 13. It is God who works in you. God works in you. You see, before God can ever do a work through you, God must do a work in you. That's where salvation, that's where change begins. It begins with God as God works in you. Now notice three things. First of all, God initiates this process. You see, salvation doesn't begin with an act of your will reaching out to God. No, salvation begins with God reaching out to you. Salvation is God's initiative from the beginning. Though we were sinners, though we were rebels deserving nothing but punishment, God in his grace chose to do a work of salvation in our life. Throughout the Bible, we discover that that salvation is not something we achieve through the works that we do, but it's something we receive Through the grace of God. It's not a work 
of man, but rather it's a work of God. It is not a reward for the righteous deeds we do, but it's a gift for those who are guilty. Salvation is not what we do. Salvation is what Jesus Christ has already done. I love this verse. Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not something you do. It's the gift of God. It's not by your works. So that no one can boast. You see, from the very beginning, the Bible teaches that that you and I, by nature, can do nothing that will entitle us or enable us to deserve salvation. And yet, and yet God loves us. In spite of the fact that we've rebelled against him, in spite of the the fact that we've chosen to sit on the throne of our life rather than allowing him to have that rightful place on our life, God loves us. And he initiates a relationship with us. You see, God doesn't sit on the throne of heaven and say, when you straighten up, I'll begin to work. God doesn't sit on the throne of heaven and say, when you begin to search for me, then I will open your eyes to me. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that God initiates This process, God starts courting you. God starts pursuing you when you are not even thinking about God. Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 6. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Don't miss what that says. God is calling us. God is drawing us to himself. God is God is up in heaven and he's pulling us to himself. Now, how does he do that? Well, he does that through a work of his Holy Spirit. Later on in John, John 16, it says this. And when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming Judgment. You see, one of the main things that the Holy Spirit does in our life is convict us, convince us of our need for God. He first of all shows us that we are sinners, that that we have rebelled against God, that, that we have chosen to live our life separate from Him. And then He lets us know that God is a righteous God, a holy God, a perfect God. And then He lets us know that every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat Of God. God is the one who lets us know that. Now listen. If you know that. Not just here. But but in here. It's not because some teacher or some preacher. Has said that and you've believed it. It's because the Holy Spirit of God. Has revealed that to you. Because the fact of the matter is, there are many people who have heard that message. There are many people who have read those words, and yet they don't believe it. You you will never, ever come to Jesus until His Spirit draws you. And let me tell you, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, God, right this moment, is drawing you to Himself. Because you wouldn't be here if you weren't. Now, some of you are saying, oh, you don't understand. It's not God drawing me here. My parents drugged me here. 
or my fiance or my spouse. Well, that may have been the instrument that God used. But God is working through them. The Holy Spirit, God, initiates this process. Are you here and and you know that you need Jesus? Do you know that you're a sinner? Do do you know that God is a holy God? Do you know that one day you're going to stand before him? If you do, it's because his spirit has revealed that to you. And if you know that, and you haven't responded to it, and you leave here today without responding, you are in a dangerous place. A dangerous place. God initiates. But notice the second thing God does. God regenerates. In other words, he makes us new. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He said when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes brand new inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Jesus said it this way. He said we are born again. When we see our sin, when we reach out to Jesus in faith, he changes us from the inside out. He makes us new on the inside. God does that. That's supernatural. That's that's a miracle. And and I can't explain it. And and you can't see it on a CAT scan or an X-ray. But understand... When you respond to the initiation of God's Spirit working in your life, convincing you of your need, and you reach out to Jesus, He makes you new. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new mind. But the Holy Spirit not only initiates, God not only regenerates, the Bible says that He empowers. Look at verse 13 again. Verse 13 in the New Living Translation says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And that word work in verse 13 is the the Greek word from which we get our English word energizer from. You see, God is the energizer in our life. We don't have the will nor the power to change. But God initiates a work in our life, regenerates us, and then he gives us the power to live a life that is pleasing to him. Now, please don't miss this. This is important. The same God who begins the work of salvation in you continues the work of salvation in you. God doesn't save you and then leave you on your own. No. Through the power of his spirit, he is working in you, giving you the power to live a victorious life. I love what it says in Romans 8, verse 11. It says, once the spirit lives within you, he will bring to your whole being new strength and vitality. Now, do you understand who the Holy Spirit who lives in you is? The Holy Spirit is God. God is takes up residence in your life. God is inside of you. God's DNA is coursing through your body. You remember the movie Spider-Man? Peter Parker's in a lab, and all of a sudden he gets bitten by a radioactive spider, 
And if you've seen the, the most recent Spider-Man movie, I mean, when he's bitten, all of a sudden you see these things happening and the spider DNA of that radioactive spider begins to course through his body and kind of meld with his DNA. And all of a sudden he's changed and he gets spider power. Listen, when you and I Respond to the work of the Holy Spirit and God regenerates us and His Holy Spirit begins to work in our life. We're not given spider power, we're giving God power. And we don't have to live in defeat anymore. So that's what God does. He does a work in us. He initiates the work by revealing our need. He regenerates us, makes us new, and then he empowers us so that we can live the victory that God wants us to live. It's pretty good, amen? Hey, let's give God a hand for that. I mean, he deserves it. So God's work in salvation. God is at work in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. But then let's look at my part. In the change process. Because remember, it's a process and it's not just God. I'm involved in the process as well. Look at verse 12. Notice what it says. Continue to work out your salvation. Now don't miss that. Continue to work out your salvation. It doesn't say work in your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. You see, I can't work out salvation unless God has already worked in salvation. When God works salvation in me, then I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can work out salvation. And so I don't work for salvation. I don't work in salvation. No, my responsibility is to work out salvation. Now notice that word continue. It says continue to work out. You see, salvation isn't some thing that we check off our to-do list and then it's done. Well, I got saved. I've done that. Now I need to go do something else. No, salvation is what? It is a process. Salvation is a lifelong process. And we keep on, we continue to work out our salvation. Now, what does it mean to work out? Well, what does it mean when you work out physically? I mean, when you go to the gym to work out, what does it mean? Do you go to the gym and you look around and go, hey, I like that body. I want that body. That's not what it means to work out. No, work out means you develop the body you already have, right? You don't go to the gym and go, okay, let me see. Uh, too big of biceps, too scrawny of legs. I, I like that body. No, you take the body you've got. And through exercise, through working out, you develop the body that God has already given you. The word work here in verse 12 is a different word than the word work in verse 13. The word work in verse 13 means to energize. The word work in verse 12 was a word described for mining ore out of the mines. It was used... To, to describe getting as much ore out of the mine as you could possibly get. In other words, you see, when we work out our salvation, what it's saying is we are getting as much out of it as possible. That's what God wants us 
to do. He he doesn't want us to, to sit back on our salvation past justification and go to heaven having lived a defeated life. No, he wants us to go to heaven having become more and more like Jesus. And so we work out our salvation. Now notice that final phrase, with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says. The word fear is the Greek word phobios, phobos, which is the word we get our word phobia from, fear. I mean, what this is saying is don't take God for granted. And a lot of people do that. There's a phrase in the word of God that we don't talk about very much today, but it's the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. We talk about loving the Lord and, you know, God is a loving God and he is, but the Bible tells us that we are to fear God. I mean, do you understand who God is? You don't take God for granted. You don't take him lightly. That's why the Bible tells us that that we should examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. We should test ourselves. We, We never take for granted our life as believers. That's why Paul challenges us. I love this in in 1 Timothy 4. He challenges us to keep ourselves spiritually fit. Listen to what it says in the Living Bible, verses 7 and 8, 1 Timothy 4. It says, spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. It takes time, it takes energy to stay spiritually fit. Body exercise is all right, But spiritual exercise is much more important and is a tonic for all you do. So exercise spiritually. Practice being a better Christian because that will help you not only now, but in the next life too. And so Paul says you need to start a spiritual exercise program. You need to develop a workout regimen in your spiritual life. And so what I want to do is give you a workout program. And here's the thing, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, you can do these things. And regardless of where you are, you need to do these things. Now, here's the first step in your spiritual workout program. You need to confess Jesus publicly. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. In Acts 2 verse 41, it says this. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. One translation says, those who gladly received his word were baptized. In other words, when we've given our heart and life to Jesus, the next natural step is to confess him publicly. Let other people know what you've done. And biblically, the way that we do that is through baptism. Hear me. Look me in the eyes, regardless of where you are. If you have never been baptized, you are never, ever going to grow to the level that God wants you to grow to. Because that is the first step of obedience. We see it in Acts 2 with those first believers. We see it in Acts 8 with the Ethiopian when he accepted Christ. He said, why can't I be baptized? We see it in Acts 16 with the Philippian jailer when he had beaten Paul and Silas and then got saved and he and his family were baptized over and over and over again. We see this in scripture. Those who accept Christ are baptized. And there are some of you here today who have accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And you really have done that, but you have never been baptized. And I'm here to tell you today, it's time to grow up. It's time 
to go to the gym and take the first step, and that is confess Jesus publicly. And you can do that today. You don't have to wait. You're going to be given the opportunity to do that. You are never going to move beyond any other step, really, until you take that step. Confess Jesus publicly. Here's the second thing that you need to do. You need to join a life group. Acts 5, verse 42. It says, And every day in the temple and in people's homes, they continue to teach and preach the good news about Jesus. Notice what it says. They met in the temple courts and they met in people's homes. The temple court was the place where the big crowd met until they were kicked out of the temple court. The people's homes were the place that they met in small groups where they had interaction with one another, where there was accountability, where ministry took place. And every believer in that early church was involved in corporate worship, the temple courts, but they were also involved in small groups, people's homes. Biblically, in those days, they didn't have buildings like we have today. And so when they left the temple courts, they had no place to meet in small groups, but in people's homes. Today, we give you no excuse for not being in a small group. You say, well, what are my kids going to do? Glad you ask. I mean, we've got incredible programming, spiritual programming for your children. So you can go to a small group while your kids are being challenged and having fun. You go, I don't know anybody. Well, you will after the first time you go. Right? You'll meet somebody. Some of them may be awkward. Some of them won't be awkward. (laughs) Because some of us are just awkward. Amen? I mean, but you're going to meet people. And as you get into that small group, hear me, that's where your growth is going to take off. Because when you get in a small group where you can not only hear someone, but you can ask questions, you can interact with them, you begin to grow. People can hold you accountable. People can minister to you. You can minister to other people. Listen, if you're not in a life group, you need to get into one. Here's the third thing you need to do. You need to have a daily quiet time. Look at Mark chapter 1 verse 35. This is Jesus' example. He said, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now what is a quiet time? A quiet time is when we get along from the distractions of life to spend time with God through prayer and his word. Hear me. A quiet time is not sitting in your recliner with Fox News blaring. Because the distractions of life are still there. A quiet time is when you either get up earlier, you stay up later, you retreat from the hustle and bustle so you can get along with God, so you can hear from God. Now, when you have your quiet time, you need to read God's Word. I don't care how much you read God's Word. I don't care what your plan is. You can develop that, but you need to read God's Word. Let me give you a couple of passages. Psalms 1. Psalms 1 tells us that the person who meditates on God's word is like a tree planted by by, um, nourishing waters, streams of living water that nourish its roots. And And so understand, when you're in God's word, it gives you stability. And then in Joshua chapter 1, we're told that when we meditate on God's word, it sets us up to be prosperous and successful. And so when I spend time in God's word, it's going to help me be more stable. 
We can all use that, amen? It, it helps us to be prosperous. Would you like to be prosperous in what you do? Would you like to be successful? Well, the Bible says those three things God will give you when you get in to God's Word. And you say, well, what do I need to do when I read the Word? Well, let me give you three questions. And regardless of what your plan is, if you ask these three questions as you read the Word, you can grow. The first question is, what does this say about God? I mean, after all, He's the one we want to learn about, right? So what does this tell me about God? Who He is, what He, what he does, what He likes, what He is like. What does this teach me about God? Second, what does what I've read teach me about me? What does it say about me? Because once I see who God is, I'm trying to see who I am so that I can then see, this is the third question, what I now need to do. In light of who God is, in light of who I am, what do I need to do to be obedient to what God's Word says? So I read God's Word. The second thing that I need to do in my quiet time is I pray. And prayer is talking to God and just being quiet and listening to God. Now, let me just give you four quick things that I, I use in my quiet time, my prayer time, that you may want to use, you may not want to use, but it helps me. It helps me because I'm kind of OCD or ACD or ICD or ADD. You know, I'm, I'm probably all of those things. But, um, but these four things help me stay on track as I'm praying. The first thing is P, I, I praise God. And when we praise God, I'm... I'm praising him, adoring him for who he is, and I'm thanking him for what he's done. That's what praise is. I'm, I'm adoring him for who he is, and I'm thanking him for what he's done. I start that way. And then I repent. Repent is when I ask God to search me and see if there's any sin in my life I need to deal with. And if there's sin in my life, I confess it to him, and I ask him to give me victory over it. I repent. The third thing that I do once I've praised him and I've, I've repented of sin is I ask. I ask God for things. I ask God for things that I need, that my family needs, that friends need, that missionaries around the world need. I ask God for things. And then the why is I yield. I yield my life to his authority, to his control. In other words, I go, God, this is what I'm asking for, but you know better than I do. And so if I'm asking anything that's not in keeping with your will, I want your will, not my will. And some people say, well, you shouldn't pray that way. Well, you pray however you want. I mean, personally, sometimes I pray selfish prayers. And if I'm praying a selfish prayer, I want God to know I don't want him to answer it. <laughs> because if he does, it might mess me up. And so I want his will more than I want my will. So we develop a quiet time. So we confess him publicly. We get baptized. We join a life group, a group of other believers that we're interacting with, studying the Word with. We have a quiet time. Fourth, we give our resources. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 14, verse 23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Now, and I know that we're hitting on a touchy subject when we talk about money. I know that, but hear me. Some of you have plateaued. And you're not going to move from that plateau until you trust God with your resources. You say, now why are you telling me that? Because hear me. <laughs> Just look at me. I mean, if you can't trust God with your money, then how are you going to ever trust him with other more important things in your life? Are you tracking with me? 
I mean, you say you trust God with your life, but yet you don't trust him to meet your needs with 90% rather than 100%. You don't trust him. You're trusting in yourself and you're never going to grow until you trust him. And understand, I know in our day and age where we are so deep in debt that it's ridiculous, that it is scary for some of us to take the plunge and say, I'm going to trust God and be obedient in this area. But hear me, if you really want to see change begin to take place at a much more rapid pace in your life, get your finances in order with God. Begin to tithe. See what God does. So we confess him publicly. We get baptized. We join a life group, a, a group of other believers where we're studying the word. We're holding one another accountable. We're ministering to one another. We're praying over needs. We have a quiet time where every day we're opening up the word. We're talking to God. So we're creating that intimacy with him. We're giving of our resources. We've made that commitment that we're going to do what God says in regard to our money. We're going to tithe. And then finally, we're going to share our story. To share our story. First Peter 2, verse 9 says, But you are the ones chosen by God, God's instruments to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made in your life. I, I believe this is that last step that really propels us to change. When we get to that point where we put our fears aside and we begin to say, This is too important not to share with others. My friends need to hear about Jesus. My friends need to know that he's the really only hope we have. And if I don't share with them, who's going to share? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But, but how can they hear unless someone tells them? We've been given that responsibility. Hear my heart. God's part. He initiates. He draws us to himself through the power of his Holy Spirit. He regenerates. He makes us brand new as his spirit comes to live in us. And then he empowers as the spirit takes control of our life. That's God's part. But our part is to work out our salvation by developing spiritual disciplines in our lives. And we're not doing it so that God will love us. We're doing it because we love God. We're not doing it to work for our salvation. We're doing it to work out our salvation. We're doing it so that we can be all that God wants us to be. And get this, we're not doing it to please God. Because God's already pleased with us. We're doing it to be obedient to him. So that we don't miss anything he wants to do in our lives. Now where are you? You see, God works in and then we work out. So what step do you need to take this morning? Because the truth is, there may be some of you, I don't know your heart, but there may be some of you that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself right now and you have never, ever surrendered your will to his will. You've never responded to his love, his call, and accepted him as your Savior and Lord. And you need to do that before anything else can happen. But then there are others of you who need to take that first step as a believer. Some of you have been a believer a short time. Some of you have been a believer for a long time. And you've never confessed him publicly as a believer. 
You've never taken that first step. Some of you need to get in a life group. Some of you aren't in a life group and you need to do that. Some of you need to start a quiet time. Some of you need to tithe. Some of you need to start sharing your story. Now, wherever you are, don't leave here without taking the step you need to take. So I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed, your eyes closed. I want us just to ask some questions right now. And as we ask these questions, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to work in our life. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you're here today and and you need to respond to God's calling in your life. You need to be saved. You've never been saved. You've never surrendered your life to him. And that's the step you need to take today. You need to be saved. If that's where you're at, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, would you just raise your hand right now if that's where you're at? Is there anyone here that needs to respond to that call to be saved? Anyone? Raise your hand right now. I don't see any hands. Okay, there's one right over here. And then there's one right over here. Okay, thank you. So if that's you and, and you need to respond to God's free gift of salvation, acknowledging your need of Him, then I encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know my best will never be good enough. Please save me. I believe you died on the cross, rose from the grave to forgive me and give me eternal life, to give me victory over sin. Come into my heart, come into my mind, take control of my life, change me today, I pray. Amen. Heads still bowed, eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to God's family. Second step. There's some of you here today who have never been baptized as a believer. You may have been dunked as a kid and didn't know what you was doing. You may have never been immersed the way the Bible teaches. For some reason or another, you've never taken that step. And you're plateaued in your Christian life. And you need to take that step today. If you're here and you will acknowledge, I need to be baptized Would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? If you're here and you're saying, I need to be baptized, would you raise your hand? Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that if that's what God has laid on your heart, you need to be baptized, that God will give you the courage to do that even today. Lord God, you've seen those who raised their hands. You know those who didn't, who need to take this step. Give them the courage to step out and confess you publicly this morning, I pray. Amen. With heads still bowed, with eyes still closed. If you're here and you say, Rocky, I'm not involved in a life group, a small group where I can get together with other believers and study the word, to hold one another accountable, to minister to one another, to pray for each other. You're not involved in a life group, but you know you need to take that step. Would you just raise your hand right now with every head bowed, every eye closed? You're not in a life group, but you need to. Great. Thank you. Hands raised. Hands raised all over. Let me pray for you. Okay? Father God, you've seen these hands. 
You know how important this step is. Father, I pray that they will have the discipline right now to, Lord, work out this step of spiritual growth in their life. Lord, I just pray that you'll help them find that life group that will help them grow in your grace and knowledge. I pray, amen. Heads still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here and you say, Rocky, I, I, I need to develop a quiet time. I don't have one. I mean, it's hit and miss with me. I don't have that, but I need it and I want it in my life. If you need to take that step to have a quiet time, would you raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the place. Let me pray for you, okay? Father God, you've seen these hands. These hands symbolize desire. Lord, I know that if your Holy Spirit is in them, you've given them not only the desire, but the power. So, Father, I pray that you will help them to develop that discipline of a quiet time so they can grow to what you want them to be. To grow so they can become what you want them to become. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here and you say, Rocky, I haven't tithed, it scares me to death. I really don't even know if I can do it, but I know the Bible teaches it. And I know if the Bible teaches it, it's what God wants. And, and I know I need to do it. Would you pray for me that, that I will have the strength and the courage to do this? If that's the step that you need to take, would you raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Thank you. Hands raised. Others, raise them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these who, Lord, raise their hand saying, I, I need to get this area of my life in order. Lord, I know this is scary. Especially in the day and age in which we live. But Lord, I know that you give us the strength to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, I know that you bless us. And so, Father, I pray that you'll give them the power in this area of their life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One other thing. Head still bowed. Eyes still closed. If you're here and you haven't shared your story, you're not sharing your story, but you know that that you need to. You know that that's the way that God saves people by believers who have been transformed, telling their story to others. And you want to ask God to help you develop that strength and that willingness to share your story. Would you raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Hands up. Thank you. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you so very much for those who have raised their hands and said, I want to share my story with others. Lord, I know this is so scary. It's frightening. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of messing up. We're afraid for so many reasons. But Father, I know you've just called us to share how you've changed our life and So, Father, I pray that you'll be with each of these who have raised their hands. Give them the strength. I know you've told us you will. To share their story with people who desperately need to hear. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.